Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm so excited to begin another year bringing you animal rights and animal welfare news from around the world. And guess what? This year marks the ninth year in a row we've been broadcasting the show. Now today, before we jump into our first show of 2017, I want to mention two things. First, you have to go to the website and listen to our last show of 2016. Peter and I selected the most important animal stories of the year, and boy, it was a pretty interesting year for animal news. So go to animalstodayradio.com, listen to the show, and tell us what you think. That's animalstodayradio.com. Also, we want to thank you if you've made a donation to support the ongoing broadcast of the show for our 2016 end-of-the-year fundraising campaign. But if you haven't gotten around to it yet, please go to aianimals.org. It's not too late, and it'll help us stay on the air for another year by making a donation. That website, again, is aianimals.org. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit Advancing the Interests of Animals. Peter and I volunteer our efforts, and as you know, our goal is to bring you interesting and inspiring animal stories each week for you to enjoy and share. So, later in the show, I'll be speaking with Pippa Hankinson, producer of the film blood lions and she's going to update us on a horrible practice of canned hunting in africa so you're going to want to stick around for that but first january is an important month for eagles because it contains both save the eagle day which is january 10th and bald eagle appreciation day which is actually two days january 21st and 22nd hey Lori, and you know when i think about bald eagles i always go back to the founding fathers and how the eagle became our national symbol. Do you ever wonder about that? And I remember this story about Ben Franklin, about him wanting the turkey to become part of the national seal or the national animal of the newly formed nation. And, you know, I wanted to find out if that was true or not. So I'll tell you what I learned in a moment. But, you know, after the Declaration of Independence was signed, the Continental Congress gave the job of designing an official seal. You need a seal, new country, to uh, Benjamin Franklin, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams. And they failed their initial attempts to create a seal. And finally, the task was given to a gentleman named Charles Thompson. He was the secretary of Congress. And Thompson looked at some of the prior renderings and pulled some of the elements. And in particular, he got rid of a little white eagle that they had in one of the previous renderings and added the American bald eagle. And right away, this new drawing, and we'll post the neat drawing that he sketched, and you'll see the American bald eagle and its first inclusion on our national seal. And then the official seal was created from that, and you will recognize it today with the eagle with its outstretched wings, the shield on its chest. And you know, Lori, do you know what the eagle is grasping? In one talon, he's got the 13 arrows, right? And in the other, an olive branch. Even though we look at this symbol many times every day, would you have remembered exactly that little factoid. Anyway, here's the deal on Franklin. My research finds that Franklin made no vocal or written objection to the bald eagle becoming part of the national seal. But there's a letter he wrote to his daughter after the seal was adopted, and he writes, For my own part, I wish the bald eagle had not been chosen representative of our country. He is a bird of bad moral character. 
He does not get his living honestly. You may have seen him perched on some dead tree near the river where, too lazy to fish for himself, he watches the labor of the fishing hawk. And when that diligent bird has at length taken a fish and is bearing it to his nest for the support of his mate and his young ones, the bald eagle pursues him and takes it from him. And then he continues, the turkey is in comparison a much more respectable bird and withal a true original native of America. So that is from Ben Franklin himself in a letter to his daughter. And uh, he liked the turkey. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to add. Did you know there's a reverse of our official seal? And that is the drawing that has the unfinished pyramid and the zenith eye. There's a lot of speculation as to where this came from, but there is a reverse and you can see it on some of our currency. Anyway, I'll post all this so you can see these examples. There's a lot of interesting things uh, written about our great seal. Now back to the bald eagle. Uh, Bald eagle is one of two eagle species in North America, two main ones, the other being the golden eagle. The uh, bald eagle was very prevalent at the onset of the United States, but it was not really uh, thought of very highly. The uh, settlers uh, saw the bird as competing for natural resources, taking their fish, messing around with their livestock, and consequently they killed the eagles and they also killed them for sport. Native Americans trapped and killed the eagles and used the feathers for ceremonial purposes. It's thought that before European settlement, there were up to a half a million bald eagles across North America. And get this, as late as the mid-1800s, eagles in the winter were reportedly seen in Central Park in Manhattan. They had caught their fish in the nearby rivers and brought them to the park to munch on them. But the eagle populations continued dwindling and dwindling and... Ultimately, it was recognized that some legislation was needed, and in 1940, Congress passed the Bald Eagle Protection Act. This outlawed killing and disturbing of eagles, and you were not allowed to possess parts of eagles, including nests, eggs, and feathers. However, this uh, act was really not strictly enforced. The hunting, which included bounty hunting, was made worse by the introduction of the pesticide DDT, And there is some controversy exactly about how DDT worked to harm the eagle populations. But either way, the populations really, really shrunk. And of course, Rachel Carson's famous book, Silent Spring, that was published in 1962. And ultimately, the pesticide was banned in the U.S. in 1972. A survey in 1963 found only 417 nesting pairs of bald eagles in the entire lower 48 states. Fortunately, the comeback of the bald eagle is one of the great conservation stories in history. Due to uh, enforcement of the Endangered Species Act, captive breeding, and a recognition that we really need to support the species, they have uh, come back and now can be found widely, as well as in Mexico, Canada, and Alaska. In fact, they are no longer considered endangered. Laura, you remember when we saw those eagles when we were in Alaska a few years ago? I sure do. I fortunately had my new telephoto lens and 
took some great pictures. It helps to be able to en enlarge them when you're not really a professional photographer. And I will post them also on, on the website. I wanted to add, there are still some threats to uh, bald eagles. Uh, they include illegal shooting. Who would do that is considered the biggest threat to their safety. Also, another threat includes lead poisoning from lead shot, which is used to shoot ducks, which the eagles then uh, eat, power lines, habitat loss, and of course, those wind farms. Peter, that's so informative. Thank you. Yeah, who doesn't love the bald eagle? That's right. Lori, recently in the news, there have been a number of really sad stories about the effects of xylitol, particularly when dogs are eating xylitol. They get very sick and sometimes die. And in fact, the FDA has just released a consumer health information bulletin talking about xylitol and dogs. And you can review this at fda.gov slash consumer. But it's a pretty comprehensive uh, warning about all the foods that contain xylitol, including chewing gum. And I'm going to talk about the specific brands of gum in just a minute, so you can be aware of that. But the xylitol is really dangerous to dogs. You know why? Because it causes a strong release of insulin from the pancreas in dogs, but not in people. And this causes profound decrease in blood sugar, and that can come on in just a few minutes and can be life-threatening. Symptoms of xylitol poisoning in dogs includes vomiting and then decreased activity, weakness, staggering, incoordination, collapse, and seizures, and death. So if you even think your dog has eaten xylitol, you want to bring him or her to the vet or animal hospital immediately. Even before showing these symptoms. Even before. And they may want to keep your dog there for 12 to 24 hours to monitor to make sure this uh, doesn't occur. And you know, interestingly, Cats really don't care to eat xylitol, so it's not really a problem with, with them. So what are some of the foods containing xylitol? Well, the items, I'll say, are some sugar-free candies, uh, toothpaste. Some human toothpaste contains xylitol, so you don't want to let your dog near that. And that's the other reason why you don't want to brush your dog's teeth with human toothpaste, by the way. Mouthwash, some nut butters. That's a new thing. Some of these nut butters have added xylitol for sweetness. But the biggest offender appears to be chewing gum. So don't let your dog near chewing gum. And mints too, right, Peter? Yeah, you bet. Some sugar-free mints are sweetened with xylitol. So here are some of the gum brands that contain xylitol. Spry gum, Epic gum, Miradent, Trident and Trident Fusion with xylitol, Trident Extra Care, Icebreakers, Ice Cube, Sugar-Free, and Zelly's Xylitol Gum. So be careful. Don't let your dogs near any of those products. You know, you make a good point, too, because a lot of people think it's okay to brush their dog's teeth with human toothpaste, and it's not because of the fact that many of the toothpaste do contain xylitol. In addition, people think, well, my dog has bad breath, so I'm going to have my dog drink some mouthwash. Well, that could be dangerous as well. And finally, this is interesting news about the nut butters, Peter, because a lot of people think that, you know, any of the peanut butters, they're safe for dogs, and they may not be. So look at the labels. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. 
If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love animals today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.com. Welcome back to Animals Today. So Save the Eagle Day is January 10th, and Ball the Eagle Appreciation Day is actually two days, January 21st and 22nd. Peter, you gave a nice historical perspective on the bald eagle. Thank you so much. I thought we would talk a little more about how eagles live. So bald eagles aren't actually bald, right? They have... I know. I've, that's always interesting. Yeah. White heads. Yeah. The bald eagle is actually one of the largest raptors in the world. The wingspan ranges from 72 to 90 inches, which is about seven feet. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. Bald eagles sit at the top of the food chain. Bald eagles can fly to an altitude of 10,000 feet. And during level flight, they can achieve speeds of about 30 to 35 miles per hour. But when bald eagles attack their prey, they swoop down on them at an angle where they can reach speeds up to 100 miles per hour when diving. That's incredible for such a large, heavy animal. That's incredible. And 10,000 feet. I would have never guessed that they can get up that high. That's amazing. Bald eagles have 7,000 feathers. 7,000. That's a lot more than I would have guessed also. And who would bother to count the feathers (laughs) on a bald eagle? Bald eagles can live 20 to 30 years in the wild. Mm. And do you know what a baby bald eagle is called? Mm. Not an eaglet? Yes. Bald eagles eat mainly fish, but they will take advantage of carrion, which is dead and decaying flesh. Yeah, and this is one of the things that got Ben Franklin hot under the collar, it seems. Yes, and all eagles are renowned for their excellent eyesight. So I guess that's where the phrase eagle eye comes eagle. from. Mm-hmm. At around four or five years old, bald eagles will choose a mating partner through a courtship procedure. The courtship includes numerous calls and aerial displays. Once coupled, the two birds will mate for life. And only in the case where one eagle dies or disappears will the other one find a new mate. And as you mentioned earlier, causes of death of the bald eagle, fatal gunshot wounds, electrocution, poisoning, collisions with vehicles, lead ammunition, and starvation. Mm. And Laurie, I just want to mention the impact on the bald eagle population from the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, about 247 eagles were thought to have been killed from the oil exposure. The population levels uh, decreased somewhat, not too much, and bounced back by 1995. But still, the eagles don't like oil. No birds like oil. Peter, there are over 60 different species of eagle. But as you mentioned, the bald eagle and the golden eagle are the only ones in North America. So I thought I would talk a minute or two about the difference between the two. First of all, all eagles have excellent eyesight. 
Both the bald eagle and golden eagle are top predators of the food webs. So what's the difference between bald eagle and golden eagle? Bald eagles are endemic to North America, whereas golden eagles are found everywhere in the Northern Hemisphere. The bald eagle is larger than the golden eagle in their sizes. Bald eagles have white color feathers on the head and the tail, whereas golden eagles have golden bordered feathers around the head and the back of the neck. Now, the beak of the bald eagle is slightly larger compared to the bill of the golden eagle. Mm. The beak is completely yellow colored in bald eagles, whereas it's dark at the tip and the rest is yellow in golden eagles. Bald eagles prefer fish to others, but golden eagles feed on small mammals as well. The United States, as you clearly explained to us, chose the bald eagle as its national symbol. The people of Mexico adopted the golden eagle as their national symbol. Oh, oh! I never thought about that, but thinking about their currency, yeah, of course. And Lori, the golden eagle, its populations have been more steady than the bald eagle. They were not susceptible or not as susceptible to DDT as the bald eagles were. That's probably because they don't consume fish. They consume mammals as their primary food. So the DDT does not get concentrated in those little mammals like it does in in the fish. The golden eagle was also protected by the 1962 Act. And so these days, the main threats and the main cause of deaths to golden eagles are from human impact, such as collisions with vehicles, wind turbines and other structures, electrocution and things like that. So, Lori, do you think the Founding Fathers made a good choice in retrospect by choosing the bald eagle to be on our national seal, even though now we know the bald eagle steals the food of other animals, eats dead animals, and has low moral character? You still think the bald eagle is a good choice? I do. Franklin didn't know what he was talking about. (laughs) They have high moral character. They're very ethical birds. I think you're right. One of... Franklin's missteps. Peter, you know what the first thing that pops up when you do a Google search on eagles? The band? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I figured. <laughs> well, that's a good point because eagles, whether they're the band or the bird, I mean, the idea of the eagle is just everywhere in our American culture. And I perhaps in Mexican and other cultures too, but so many products are designed or named after eagles, the connection with excellent vision, we always hear about that. I mean, eagles are everywhere in our culture, on our currency. They're, eagles are everywhere. Yes, it's pretty rewarding when your patients tell you that you've given them the eyes of an eagle. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Have you seen the cartoons of the great seal being modified to give it a Trump-style bald head instead? No. So there's a, a, now there's a golden hair on our bald eagle in cartoons. Oh, they're going to ruin our emblem. And major support for Animals Today Radio comes from International Society for Animal Rights. For decades, ISAR has been a world leader in the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and its moral, social, and economic costs. Please visit their website at www.isaronline.org. China has agreed to shut down its commercial ivory trade. That's right. By the end of 2017, trading ivory will no longer be legal anywhere in the country. This piece of wonderful news was brought about by a lot of pressure over a long time, including the investment of more than $3 million for an ad campaign by the group WildAid, featuring Yao Ming, 
basketball player. A number of factors led to the Chinese taking this action, including their desire to strengthen their relationships with Africa. It became clear that they could no longer say this is just an African problem when the biggest world market is indeed in China, where carving of the ivory is a fine art, and also where ivory is used to fuel a lot of corrupt activities. The president of China is trying very hard to root out government corruption. So overall, it's really good for the Chinese image and obviously good for the elephants. So the country of Japan will be the only country where ivory trade will be permitted. So that is our next target. Don't go away. After the break, we're taking the show to Africa to talk about canned hunting. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild, to animals on farms and in agriculture, to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit AIanimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. Have you seen the film Blood Lions? Last year, we broadcast a really good interview Peter conducted with the film's producer, Pippa Hankinson, and we learned about this horrible industry of canned hunting of purpose-bred lions in Africa. Here to give us an update, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show Pippa Hankinson. Hey there, Pippa. Thank you, Laurie, and thank you so much for inviting me back to talk to you on Animals Today and also to speak to your listeners. Pippa, please review with me and my listeners canned hunting of lions and captive breeding for hunters. First of all, it's estimated that around 8,000 lions are being held captive in more than, than, in more than 200 breeding facilities across four provinces in South Africa. And these lions are being mass-bred and inbred and often crossbred with tigers, literally to be shot by wealthy trophy hunters or to be killed for the lion bone trade to Asia. Where is this practice? Is it legal? And how do the businesses operate? 
unfortunately, captive bred lions fall through the cracks in our legislation as they're not adequately covered either by the Department of Environmental Affairs, which regulates according to biodiversity, which is ecosystems or whole species, or the Department of Agriculture, whose legislation only appertains to domestic farm animals, such as cows and sheep. But maybe I need to stress that captive breeding of lions has absolutely no conservation value whatsoever and that this industry is simply a very lucrative commercial operation um, which where marketing messages you know totally mislead tourists and volunteers and the public alike um, for example they claim that cubs are orphaned and that once they're grown the lions will be rewilded into reserves and this is just simply not true as firstly cubs are taken away from their mothers within the first week of birth um, which enables rapid breeding cycles and secondly there are very few reports of domestic lions ever being rehabilitated um, it's just simply not feasible as it's an extremely costly and lengthy exercise and there would be no reason to do this as our wild lion populations are stable and they're also well managed. So, and lion ecologists tell us that it's not a conservation option um, as these lions have been repeatedly inbred over the years and this has obviously reduced their genetic integrity. And as you know, um, with human habituated animals, they would also pose a huge danger to people living in the area where they've been reintroduced. Pippa, are lions endangered? Lions in Africa are endangered, yes, Laurie. Um, wild lion populations have declined across Africa by 90% in the last 50 years. But in South Africa, and due to our protected areas, um, the populations are pretty pretty stable, apart from um, feline AIDS and um, uh, TB. Um, but I must add that they're really under pressure from the illegal trade and poaching. And, you know, perhaps I'll elaborate that on that a little bit later. Tell us briefly about the film Bloodlines and how it can be viewed. So um, some years ago, as you know, I visited a lion breeding facility in South Africa for the first time. Um, it wasn't open to public scrutiny, and I was absolutely shocked when I literally saw rows upon rows upon rows of, of small enclosures where these lands were being mass bred. It was, it was what you would probably call a puppy mill scenario. Yeah. Um, and what was so apparent was the stress to me. Um, the stress was tangible and the inbreeding was clearly evident. And so when I returned home, I researched the industry and I became aware that very few people around the world, including many in South Africa, were aware of what was happening. And so I felt it was just incredibly important to somehow raise global awareness around the industry. And I decided the best way to do this would be to make a documentary entry. Um, but as you also know, I had no previous experience in filmmaking, so it took a bit of time to pluck up the courage. Um, but I was very fortunate to gather a team of extraordinary people, um, and they were all professionals, and they helped me make it reality. Um, and to cut a very long story short, the film premiered last year in July and has since been viewed in more than 175 countries and territories around the world. And gee, never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that would be possible. Oh, that's so fantastic. So, I know. It was just amazing. Um, just to answer your question as how it can be viewed, um, in the USA, the DVD is available on Amazon.com. And in fact, one of our directors of the film, Bruce Young, 
is actually in the middle of a bloodline screening tour in the USA at the moment. So he will, in fact, he'll be screening at the Sundown Sunset Cinema in Los Angeles tonight at 7.30, um, together with our partners, the Humane Society USA. Um, so if any of your listeners are able to attend. Um, but he will also be going on to show the film in Vancouver and Seattle, as well as the San Juan Islands at um, the Friday Harbor Film Festival, which is coming up at the beginning of November. And details of all these events can be found on our web page, which is www.bloodlines.org forward slash screenings. Please tell us about the recent CITES meeting in Johannesburg and what was brought up about Lions. For those who might not have heard about um, CITES, it's a convention um, literally about wildlife trade worldwide. And it stands for the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Flora and Fauna. Um, so this year's meeting was known as COP17, um, which means it was the 17th meeting of the Conference of the Parties to CITES. And the species covered by CITES are listed in three appendices. And, and these are listed according to the degree of protection um, which each species actually need. So we were very fortunately, fortunate to be able to be present there, um, which was vital as we were able to raise further awareness um, around the captive lion breeding and cant hunting. And we were very grateful to the U.S. offices of the Humane Society and IFOR as they sponsored a screening of bloodlines one evening during the convention. And it was amazing. It was packed. And we were so pleased that Dan Ash and some of his colleagues from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services were able to attend the event. And, you know, there were also a number of other key decision makers who were attending CITES at the time. Pippa, I hear talk about CITES appendices. What does that mean? Um, Laurie, there are three CITES appendices, but um, the most important with regard to the protection of any threatened or endangered species are Appendix 1 and, and Appendix 2. So Appendix 2 includes species which are not necessarily threatened with extinction, but for which trade must be controlled. Um, and it basically it would avoid... Um, utilization which threatens their survival. Um, but Appendix 1 offers the highest protection and that includes species threatened with extinction and trade in those species is permitted, is, is pretty much um, prohibited but it is permitted in exceptional circumstances. What was being sought for lions at CITES and how might that have affected the practice of canned lion hunting and the populations of wild lions? Laurie, what was being sought for lions at, at CITES was uh, it was a proposal that was submitted by nine West African states. Um, they had requested that lions be uplisted from CITES Appendix 2 to CITES Appendix 1. And the reason for that was that lions in those countries have been completely decimated. So it was an a desperate attempt to get greater protection from the, for them. And an uplisting to Appendix 1 would have pretty much stopped the trade in lions and also given the, their, the remaining populations a chance to recover. Um, but on the day that lions were, were tabled, an objection was, was raised by one of the parties that they hadn't had time to study a document which had been put forward by South Africa and Uganda. And this was then acknowledged and a lion working group was formed with 13 member countries or member states 
and 11 observers um, to discuss to, to the document and in turn they would revert to the CITES Secretariat. And perhaps it's important that I mention to your listeners here that observers at CITES not only include NGOs, conservation and scientific groups, but also hunting organizations such as Safari Club International in the USA and professional hunting associations such as FASE in South Africa, and also um, breeding and wildlife ranch organizations such as the South African Predator Association and Wildlife Ranching of South Africa. Um, but just to return to the line working group, um, they held a number of closed meetings and a proposed amendment or annotation on, on the proposal was put forward to the Secretariat. And to us it seemed to have been a compromise as we had heard already that neither an uplisting to CITES 1 or Appendix 1 or a split listing was going to happen. But somehow the agreement um, agreement was reached um, within the line working group and, and we were shocked as it was pushed through a day earlier than expected despite um, the fact that some of the members weren't there and we also heard reports that some of the member states were wanting to lodge interventions. Um, but in a nutshell, the annotation stated that the African lion, Panthera leo, would remain on Appendix 2 but that all trade in wild lion body parts would cease. And by wildland body parts, I mean bones, bone pieces, bone products, claws, etc. But the second part of the annotation read that body parts derived from captive bred lions would be allowed to be traded for commercial purposes. And that um, South Africa had to set an annual export quota and communicate it to, to society the secretariat every year. Don't go away. More with Pippa Hankinson right after the break. This is a health warning from Dr. Approved Medical, America's trusted resource for back braces. If you're 65 or older and suffering from back pain, you may qualify to receive an advanced pain-relieving back brace at little or no cost to you. Many people are now using our pain-relieving back brace as an alternative to surgery or harmful medications and experience pain relief that they haven't felt in years. Don't let your back pain turn into something worse. Remember, if you qualify for no money out of pocket, there's nothing to lose and only real pain relief to gain. Our friendly team of experts will handle all paperwork and we'll deliver it for free. Just call 800-507-1148. Your pain-relieving back brace may be covered by Medicare at little or no cost to you. Call our hotline now and get free shipping, plus a complimentary easy-to-use pedometer. 800-507-1148. 800-507-1148. 800-507-1148. Little to no cost with full insurance payment, copay, and deductible supply promo subject to qualification while supplies last. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild, to animals on farms and in agriculture, to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. 
If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love animals today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Animals Today. We're speaking to producer Pippa Hankinson. She produced the film Blood Lions. Pippa, in the prior segment, you talked about the CITES meeting and what was being sought for lions at that meeting and how might that affect the practice of canned lion hunting and the populations of wild lions. What was your reaction to the annotation? We were shocked. We were absolutely shocked and hugely disappointed by the decision. And many of us felt that, um, in fact, CITES committees had grossly failed the African lion for a number of reasons. And a couple of these I'd like to mention because they're important. We believe that legal trade will encourage and promote illegal trade, as it has with rhinos and elephants in the past. And um, also that the legalization of this trade in captive lion um, body parts would not only stimulate the demand for wild lion bones, but that it'll actually lead to decline in wild lion populations. And we've been told by a number of lion ecologists across Southern Africa that poaching has dramatically escalated, and they're finding um, lions that have been poached more often than in the past, and these are being poached for what they call the mooty market and also for lion bone trades to, the, to Asia. And, you know, the million-dollar question that we asked a number of people is how do permitting officials differentiate between wild and domestic bred lions? And, you know, the simple answer is that they can't. Um, another of the concerns is the, that the situation will widen the already growing corruption loopholes around the existing regulatory fr- framework. And one example of this is that it's known, commonly known, that source codes on export permits have been manipulated in the past. So this is a, a very big concern. And, of course, another concern is around the welfare issues where lands are purely bred for the land bone trade to, to Asia. And um, we all know that in the hunting industry, lions have to be in reasonable condition in order to attract a trophy hunter. But where lions are bred purely for their bones, there's little incentive to look after those animals because of the huge costs involved in in feeding and breeding lions. Pippa, describe the increased protections for lions recently achieved and what more would you like to see? Well, on on Thursday, an amazing thing happened, Laurie. Um, we were just so blown away when Dan Ash from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services announced that, with literally with immediate effect, that the United States had decided not to allow the importation of lion trophies taken from captive lion populations in South Africa. And he quantified this, and I'll read it. Um, He said, in order to permit the import of lion trophies under the ESSA, which is the Endangered Species Act, exporting nations like South Africa must provide clear evidence showing a demonstrable conservation benefit to the long-term survival of the species in the wild. In the case of lions taken from captive populations in South Africa, that burden of proof has not been met. 
So we believe that this announcement is hugely significant and we all applaud U.S. Fish and Wildlife for introducing this new regulation. Um, you know, this, this, um, the, the bringing an end to this industry has not only been supported by millions of concerned citizens around the world that have defended this cause, but also um, the majority of conservation and scientific agencies, as well as ecotourism organizations and many governments and governmental agencies around the world. Um, to answer the, the, the second part of your question, um, the principal goal of Bloodlines has always been to bring an end to canned hunting in South Africa, as well as the exploitative breeding of lions and other predators across the country. And so, as I mentioned earlier, this not only supports the tourism industry, such as petting and walking with lions, but also the burgeoning trade in lion bones to the east, which has dramatically increased over the last seven years. Um, as we know, tiger numbers have dramatically declined. And um, this is an industry where lion bones are now being used to su supplement the tiger bone trade, where tiger bones are, are being used to make tiger, tiger wine and tiger bone cakes for the Chinese, um, traditional Chinese medicine. So... And, you know, lastly, it goes without saying that we're also working towards the uplisting again of lions to Appendix 1 at the next COP18 CITES convention, which will be held in Sri Lanka in 2019. Pippa, any final comments and what can my listeners do to help? Laurie, we, we just ask everyone to join the movement, um, to join the movement to, ex to end the exploitation around captive bred breeding of lions in South Africa. Um, to follow us on social media. Um, we've, we have encouraged people to download and forward our clips. We've got a number of clips on our Facebook page around captive breeding, what it is, what canned hunting is, as well as the volunteer um, um, industry. And we also ask people to watch the film. It, it can be obtained through Amazon.com or it can be downloaded with a VOD video on demand through www.wildlifeconservationchannel.com. And we have a special message to young people out there as they are the future custodians of our planet. And we ask that they be a voice for the voiceless and to join our recently launched Youth for Lions campaign. We ask them to encourage friends, parents, families, school and communities to join them, write a letter to their school magazine or local newspaper, and to generally create awareness on why young people should not pet lions, walk with lions or volunteer to look after them. And if they need additional information, we have quite an extensive piece um, of frequently asked questions on our website, which is www.bloodlions.org um, forward slash youth for lions. And please send your ideas back to us at youth at bloodlions.org. And please, if there's any way, we would be delighted if you'd like to show our film at your school or university. Pippa Hankinson, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much, Laurie. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you again. And this is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. 
Today's Animals Today Minute features the world's largest land carnivore, the polar bear. Mainly receiving nourishment in the form of seals, these majestic Arctic dwellers may reach heights of 8 to 9 feet and weigh as much as 1,700 pounds. Their adaptations to surviving the extreme climate include very thick white fur, even on their feet, black skin to absorb the warmth of the sun, a thick layer of blubber beneath the skin, and large flat front feet which aid in swimming. Newborns weigh only about a pound and stay with their mothers about two years. Polar bears are classified as an endangered species with only 20 to 25,000 left in the world. And that's this week's Animals Today Minute.